Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about singing tips for non singing teachers. Welcome back, lovely teachers. It is wonderful to have you here. Now, those of you that know me quite well know that I'm quite passionate about including singing in our lessons. No matter whether we're teaching piano or flute or violin or drums even, I think singing can bring a lot of musicality to our kids and adult students as well. However, if you're not a voice teacher and you didn't specialize in singing in any way, as I did not, then sometimes we need a little bit of help figuring out how to use singing in our lessons. So in this episode, what we're doing is we're using, or the article at least uses the example of the Piano Practice Blues, which is a singing activity that we do in one of the group workshop plans inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So if you're a member, you can check out those plans and you'll see the uh, song that... Carmen is referring to in this article. But the basic idea of that song is that it gives students an opportunity to learn about the blues and to express some of their frustrations with practice and perhaps commiserate with each other about that as well. So it's a bit of a fun element to that class. But what we're going to through today is really some general tips on teaching singing that will apply no matter what song you're learning together. Now, I'm going to get the elephant out of the room right away with an area that Carmen isn't really covering in this article because it wasn't what she was focusing on, but it always comes up when we talk about teaching singing, and that is, what if my student refuses to sing? (laughs) Am I right? Did that pop into your head? Because that question comes up pretty much every time I talk about singing at all. So let me give you a few tips on that. The first way to improve your students' participation in singing activities in your lessons, if there's something you believe in, like I do, is to start young. Okay, so this doesn't apply to every situation, but the best thing you can do going forward is to start all your students singing with you in their lessons and make it a normal part of what you do. If you do that with your students who join you, usually before the age of eight, they usually won't have a problem. And many students, if they start doing that before the age of 12, they won't have a problem either. It's when we first introduce this when they're teenagers 
that we get the biggest pushback. But you will have some younger students who've already decided that singing is embarrassing. I hate to say it, but often this is caused by a teacher. That's what I found. That's certainly what was true for me growing up. I never sang out. I was always very quiet in my singing, always on pitch, but embarrassed by it nonetheless. And it was because I had once sung in front of... Actually, in my case, it wasn't as much a teacher. It was a um, another kid, like friends of mine who I had sung something and I knew it sounded terrible because I was so nervous to sing for them. They had been not rude, like they weren't being mean, but their reaction kind of said it all. (laughs) And I never wanted to sing out for people again until I realized it would benefit my students and then I got over myself. If you have students who are already in this mindset of singing is embarrassing or I don't want to sing, then what do you do then? Well, the number one thing I would do is to just do it anyway and let them be really quiet. If they're participating, like they're not defying your instructions, they're not completely going against it, then I would just let them at it. So if they're whisper singing or if they're kind of half talking, I would just let them do it and I would sing because I still think they're learning something from that and their ears are still learning something. Not as much as if they fully participated, but still something. The other thing that can be helpful is having more other people singing. So if you do some kind of group lessons, group workshops or buddy lessons like I do, then I would do this when you have multiple students together. That might sound like it's going to be more embarrassing, not less, but having a crowd to kind of hide in with singing is very helpful and will often make your students at least participate somewhat if they normally are completely silent. Sometimes students just need a nudge and sometimes they are adamant, outspoken. I tried to combine those two words there, I think. (laughs) Adamant and outspoken about the fact that they won't sing. And if they insist on it, especially if they're a teenager, I'm not going to push back against that. But more often students are in the camp of they'll just kind of half sing along with you. And in that case, I would let them do it and I would keep going. Now, there's one more elephant I'll address, which is a smaller elephant, but still needs addressing because it's an elephant. And that is for those students who don't match pitch. Was that the other question that came to mind? So I was asked this actually just yesterday by a teacher who works here at Colourful Keys. Some students don't sing. They speak or they're way off pitch. And that does happen. I'd say it happens more in younger students And it only starts to become an issue, in my view, that we need to address specifically when they're a little bit older. So if a student is, say, under the age of eight and they're not matching pitch, even if they've been in lessons a couple of years, I would normally just keep doing the singing activities and it often resolves itself. Now, if a student is eight, nine, ten, teenager, and they aren't able to match pitch, here are a couple of things you can try. Number one is to start with sirens. So just sliding the voice up and down, that kind of sound and do that together. And I would do that as part of a physical warm up at the start of a lesson. So rather than saying, "Okay, we're going to do our voice work now or our singing now, don't make it that. Make it just part of stretches you're doing down towards the floor and up towards the sky. And you do it with your voice as well. So they don't know it's part of the singing work. So I start with that. Make sure they can extend their vocal range in that way and then you can bring that towards matching pitch by playing a note on the piano 
and showing them how you slide your voice up and stop when you get to that note. And you can have them try and do the same thing. You can also sing a note and have them slide up to match your sung note as well. It's just easier to demonstrate the piano version, so that's where I would start. Once you do a little bit of that, the pitch matching will normally come with time, but I wouldn't necessarily do those activities or address it in this specific way unless they've been in lessons for a little while and they are nine and over, that kind of thing. So those are my elephants. They're out of the room. Bye elephants. I love elephants. Why don't we leave them in the room? Anyway, now let me get into some of Carmen's tips that she lists in the article so you can read them as well if that suits you. But I certainly learned a lot from reading her tips, so I'll go through some of those here. So the first area she looks at is the breathing. She uses the example of the phrase in the piano practice blues that is quite long and includes a higher note. So that's going to need more breath, which I think is a good thing to point out to students because they won't be aware of these things. Now, we don't need to full on turn this into a vocal lesson, but little tips can help them to improve their singing, which is going to help them to improve their musicality, their ear training, everything else. Carmen suggests using a breathing bowl for this. When I first read that, I was like, what? And then I started to visualize it. So this is that thing. To me, it looks like Meccano. Anybody know Meccano? (laughs) If you do, you do. But it looks like a bowl made of kind of sticks (laughs) stuck together and you can stretch it out and contract it. So it's this bowl that contracts. I'm sure you've seen one. If you haven't got that image in your mind, go to the article or look up breathing bowl just on your phone and you'll see an image of what I'm talking about. But I thought that was a great suggestion. I'm going to head off to buy one myself now to use for slowing down the breathing. Yeah, just a great way to expand the breath. That's my favorite of the two tips in this case, because the second one is about lip trills. I can't reliably do those. I'm one of these odd people that a lot of these things elude me. I can't roll my R's. I can't do lip trills, other random things like that. But Most students actually will be able to. So if you can demonstrate it, you'll be able to do the lip trills. It's like saying burr when you're cold, as Carmen says, and you can do that to work on the breathing as well. Tip number two is about opening your mouth. And she's really talking about opening up the soft palate, which is something that I have learned about in choir a lot, but many of your students won't have. So she gives a few different tips for opening up that mouth. I really like the suggestion of smelling a flower because it gives students that sensation. They're, they keep their mouth closed and they smell a flower. You could even have like an actual flower for this if you want to go the extra mile or if you have around any like fabric flowers, fake flowers that you could use and they could smell it or you can just imagine. But smelling the flower and then getting that feeling of the mouth opening up Tip number three is to bring it forward. So this is about projecting the sound. And this is one where if you have a really shy singer, this might help, but I would definitely do it with them and not demand that they do this and try and project their sound because they might not be projecting their sound, not because they are unable to or need exercises to bring it forward, but because they don't want to be heard, (laughs) which was my case when I was young anyway. So the suggestion Carmen gives is using consonant sounds like m, m or n or ing, those kinds of sounds, or you can use humming. A great extra tip I'll add here is to use the kazoo. So if you do have shy singers, take out the kazoos. By the way, you can get plastic kazoos. I have these ones. 
super cheap. I can't remember how much they were, but cheap. And they can actually go in the dishwasher. So if you're worried about sanitizing and you've stopped using kazoos, get the plastic ones and they can just be washed. It's very it's easy enough to do it that way because you can just literally put them on the prongs in the dishwasher. But using a kazoo is a great way to get students who otherwise won't project to do it because you just can't make a sound with a kazoo without learning to properly project your voice and make that humming sound. And then the last tip from Carmen is to express it. So to encourage more expression from our students, I think we need to talk about the meaning of the words and also what I often take it back to myself is speaking how we don't speak in a monotone like this, right? And they often are familiar with that from school, from being told how to read out loud and make it sound interesting to the listener. Expression is a great extra layer to add on, especially if you are doing the piano practice blues from our workshop plan. I think that is a great way to go because a great part to emphasize because they can really sing out their frustrations with practice and have fun with it then as a group. Your one thing this week is extremely simple. I just want you to do some extra singing, some singing you wouldn't have done otherwise. So whether that's a solfa exercise, whether it's breathing work, with some singing afterwards, whether it is the piano practice blues, try to include some singing that you wouldn't have if you hadn't heard this podcast episode. That's it for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed these singing tips and you can go and check out Carmen's article for more of them on the Colourful Keys blog. Come find me on Instagram at Colourful Keys if you want to chat about singing some more. If you liked this episode, you would absolutely love Vibrant Music Teaching Membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.